It's great to be a celebrity in actor's life for me. You sleep till after two, you promenade a big cigar, you tour the world in a private car, you dine on chicken and caviar, an actor's life for me. So it's all this idea of, of wealth and public exposure and zero attention whatsoever to anything regarding responsibility or discipline or learning. And so it's a dual attraction, right? You get everything you want and you don't have to do anything. Jeez, what a deal. And so that's what the actor represents. It's, it's a liar, fundamentally. It's someone who's acting out a, a deception. They're a persona in the Jungian sense. So the persona is the mask you wear in public that you might even think you are, but you're not. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 242 of Catching Foxes. False selves, church fathers, and the lies we believe. In this episode, we have two sponsors, faithfulcounseling.com slash foxes and our friends over at policygenius.com. Also, if you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, head on over to patreon.com slash CF. Luke mentions it later in the show, but I think you knew that. Enjoy. If you see I, something, you started with that, say something. Because you started without me. I didn't start without you. Pumpkin pie haircutted freak. <laughs> I almost spit out my crooked marker blackberry lime drink. Sick best. Tic tac, sir. <laughs> so, Luke, what's our topic today? Good the hell out. Oh, I got nothing. I got absolutely okay, I nothing. Have, I have something that I thought was fascinating. I'm a and broken, I'm, bitter, bitter man. Okay, so the early church fathers. Okay, this I thought was so fascinating. One of the things that they all critiqued across the board, okay, was... Hitler. <laughs> Hitler, see? Send in the boys in blue. The police? There they come. The police? Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Here comes Sting. <laughs> Are you done yet, Luke? Are you done yet? Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. sad. I am not even a minute recording. This is going to be the world's worst. <laughs> like the oh, Skype, the oh, Skype man. call kind of went fuzzy with you, and I was like, "Good thing I'm recording my." <gasps> <laughs> Son of a gun. Um, no, let me. Uh, uh, so the church fathers. I, f- I found this so fascinating that um, in going off of our conversations, I had a couple people send me articles from the whole like me and you critiquing digital church and all that stuff. And uh, and then Pope Francis coming out with a statement where he said an archbishop chastised me about it. And uh, I end up, um, oh, man, Rome Reports, one of those types of websites. They, uh, they did this brilliant article on the Church Fathers from 2011, and it touches on Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict made a statement, and this guy, it got his juices flowing, and he compared it to the patristics. And so the Church Fathers said... There was one thing that they critiqued across the board, no matter what year they were in, you know, living in the ancient Greco-Roman world. They said they all critiqued the theater, drama, and um, the festivities of, like, the gladiator combats and all that stuff. But that that whole milieu, right, that whole kind of thing. And they said, and it's really fascinating because St. Augustine talks about in the City of God, one of the reasons why they constantly critiqued theater is it was the more, the, the better the quality of an actor the more true he was to the character he was playing, the more of a liar he was simultaneously, right? Like, you're, you're presenting a false image, and the more accurately you can present that, yeah. the better an yeah. actor you are, right? So, I mean, obviously we're like, okay, acting, right. But he said, here's the dangerous part. I found this so fascinating. He said, it causes us, like when they're doing a, a Greek tragedy, like a play from Sophocles, right? It causes us to have, if the actor's really doing his job, we respond with, like, grief over the tragedy, Right. 
And he said, but what is the Christian's response to someone in grief? It's to help them. And Augustine's like, you want to help them, but imagine if you jumped on stage to help an actor. You would be crazy, right? Like, you're not going to do that. And he said, so really, the whole point of the play is to make you feel something over something simulated, right? Like, it's not real pain. It's simulated pain. And you're and, – and so, you know, my conversation about movies and books was it teaches you empathy, right? Like – so I'm not in that circumstance, but I can put myself in someone else's circumstance and feel the feels. But they're talking about it from this perspective of like our react. We should be training ourselves that when we see grief, we respond with mercy. But instead, we see grief and we respond with more grief. And he's saying that and, and their critique is almost like universal across the board. And he was going. that, And the reason why the guy was saying this was because Pope Benedict had done a thing in 2011 on social networks, and that's like the rise of Facebook, the rise of all this stuff just sweeping through the world, right? Facebook's at like 3 billion members and all that stuff. And he says, the danger of these social networks is that they, and and we all know this, right, is that they foster the desire to create a false image of yourself and then to project that. And And you see this with younger people, and he said, essentially the critique was, everyone is forced to become an actor, Right. And you what you are like, everything now has become a stage on these social medias. And uh, I love Pope Benedict because he always uses the he's always so accurate, you know, when he's like these so-called social networks. And I was like, oh, Benedict, I love it. Um, But he talks about that. And it's like uh, and he also talks about like he listed plenty of good stuff, building friendship and fellowship and whatnot. But he said we end up living for the spreading of popularity or the popularity of our content that spreads and things like that and is appreciated. And he said, but that doesn't make something true just because it's popular. But these social networks reinforce the idea that because something is popular, that makes it true. And and it's like this constant hammering home of this simulation of the real instead of it being real. And then the guy takes that and says, now let's apply that to the digital liturgy. Right, he's like it's a simulation that we're watching that costs us nothing. It's not an event; it's a performance, and we're just observing from afar. We're not participating within. And I was like, you know, that's really that's a really fascinating critique that I did not see coming. We either had an episode where where I hinted on at that, or we talked about this, or it was just a, a um, conversation where I don't remember when this was, or. It or it was just stuff that I was reading that I wanted to talk about and we never did. I, I don't remember, but I, I a while ago, like a, probably like six eight months ago, I was I'm reading some critiques on method acting, and mm-hmm. I oh do you yeah, remember yeah, yeah. that I, I don't yeah. remember everything that everything um, that I said and, and all the points, but it was really fascinating to read what people were saying about it. Some people who actually you know because uh, now that's like the form of acting, right? Story about Dustin Hoffman working with Laurence Olivier. Hoffman said his character was awake for three days, so he stayed up for three days. In which Olivier replied, "Have you thought about acting, dear boy?" Whole style that came out of, um, uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on all of this, but I think it was in New York in the '50s and stuff, and it's just now bled into that's what we view acting as being is this yeah. like you've com- you are completely that character, you're totally that. And how some people don't like it because it's like it's almost too much and you lose sight of like you you just feel who this person is, but you lose the point of the story to the point where you might even lose the story in and of itself. 
uh, in my job, I've had experiences with other actors trying to go method, and honestly, it can just disrupt the entire thing if they don't know what they're doing. It's totally true that if somebody is doing it properly, like Daniel Day-Lewis style, not making everybody get involved in their process, it's fine. It's no big deal. Um, but when somebody just doesn't actually have any idea of what the method is, and they just show up and do their own thing, it's it just it causes problems. So one thing that's really convicting me and is terrifying me and is and is killing me in, inside is I was praying with the gospel on Sunday that talks about people who either like so okay so Christ it's basically from John uh, chapter ten one through ten I think and he's talking about how he is the gatekeeper yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to go through him anyone who goes another route is a thief and a liar. And I thought yeah. I would just hit me about so much about how, like, during quarantine time, like, like, my prayer life has just been really crappy. And it's just been, you know, this has been a yeah. really difficult time for me, I mean, for all of us, I think. When I was like, who do I identify with in this passage? And I was like, I've got to be honest, like, right now it is the liars and it's the thieves because I'm not going through the gate. I'm going around. Yikes! You know, I'm I'm talking about this stuff, and I'm like I'm not talking about it from a real. Off- no, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic and incredible and incredibly dramatic here, but it just like where my like my heart was like if I'm being honest, this is where I am, and it's like we'll do anything we can to get inside that gate, you know, to get in there, and and, and like and we think we're getting to like like if Christ is over there. I don't know, like if, like, let's just compare it to, and I know this is, like, this is a freaking mess, so, but I'm just going to, like, uh, let's compare this to all of, like, this COVID stuff. The church is the bride of Christ, right? The church is, like, and Christ gave the church and her leaders certain powers, and I find it exhausting that he did that. But the the (laughs) fact of the matter is he did that. And the keys have told us right now, hey, we're not doing this. We're not doing like we can't do mass in a public way, yeah. you know. Or now, now it's it has it has started to change, and we're all trying to find all these other ways to. But like crisis, like like the church is who leads us to to Christ, right? And if and if like if we can't get it through the mass right now, there are other ways. It's not where Christ is. I mean, Christ Christ is there, obviously. But as a public, as a church, if we're not able to attend mass right now, it doesn't mean that like we're missing out on Christ. Yeah, Christ is there and in other ways, and He is moving. Christ can move without mass. Like Christ, like I fully believe that Christ, like He moves and works in Protestant churches. Yeah, I believe that He inspires them. I believe that He moves them. I believe that like. He does stuff in their lives, in pastors' lives, within their own marriages to bring people. He has a plan for their lives that involves a Protestant church. I believe that. Um, now, you want to say to, like, on um, what extent, that's, that's a different story. But what I'm saying is, like, I believe he does. I, do, I believe he calls people to that church to, like, be more involved in their lives if that's, if that is where, if that's where they are. And I can't help but feel like, are we trying to jump over the fence? Are we trying to, you know, do these things because we want this thing so badly? We have to have our fix. We want it so badly, you know, that we are unwilling to have like a fake thing as opposed to a real thing. Verse 24 of Acts 4 says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together 
to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and sea and everything. So, so they together, like it was, it was like a choir. It, it was exactly what we're doing earlier. Like I, I could just see it in your face. I could hear it in your voices. It was we were all with one voice crying out, we won't stop. Like it, it was not enough for you. It wasn't one person going, God, please. You know? No, it's everyone together. There is something about that unified voice that is saying, God, we've all been with you by ourselves. And now when we gather together, can we just have, would you do something in that place? Can we experience you together? I don't want to experience a Francis Chan sermon. I can go on YouTube and do that. Okay, that's not enough for me. That's not enough for me. I want to hear from you. I want to experience you and I won't stop pursuing that until we see that in the church week after week day after day people who are in love with Jesus and long for him how are we jumping over the fence in this regard specifically so my buddy Brad Bursa he wrote this really great um, article about all this I don't know where he released it. I tried to get him to put it onto the Catching Foxes site but I think he wanted something a little more respectable which which I which I understand and for those of you guys who don't know who Brad is Brad is one of the most uh, Brad's a genius and he's a very d- d- dear friend of mine and uh, a lot of stuff that, you, that you've heard me talk about is I've I've basically I've taken stuff that he's that he already has and. He basically wrote this thing about, like, what if I'm right now the church is supposed to identify, oh, with Mary, and we're in this pregnant pause right now where just there's nothing we can do but wait. And, like, you know what sucks about the pregnant pause? I can attest to this. It sucks. (laughs) Like, it really sucks. (laughs) Like, Erin's going through a lot. She has – and I I don't want to share all of of her business, but, like, she's having a hard time. She – you know, can't sleep and all the stuff. And she has like restless leg, you know, and all, all these things. And it's hard. It's really oh, it's, restless. Oh, it's so bad. Uh... Like it just breaks my heart, you know, and it's hard on me because I'm having to do a lot of stuff. And it's, I feel very isolated and alone right now in a time that's already very isolating and lonely, you know? So there's this, like, I feel incredibly lonely to be honest. I'm with you. And, it, and it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. But like, this is part of being pregnant. If she's exhausted and can only do, X amount of stuff, and she's got a job, so it means like she's got to do her work, and then take a, you know like be able to I'm taking a nap here and there, and that means I'm doing a lot of the house stuff, yeah. and that's and it's like it's and it's I, I mean, we don't have any other kids, and we're all being quarantined, and so we're just <laughs> like I'm like I'm alone a lot, a lot, a lot, yeah. and that's really really um, difficult, and that's just a part of when you have a spouse who's pregnant that happens. That's, yeah. And it sucks, and there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, no, 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 there are things that I can do to, you know, I, I try to talk to people. I have a crappy prayer life, but I'm, but I'm trying. I'm reading a lot of Harry Potter. Like, there are things that I'm doing <laughs> to try to cope with this, okay? Playing a lot yeah, of FIFA. Yeah. Um, I, I, On what? Uh, I, got, I got a Nintendo Switch like three years ago. Huh. Three or four years ago. Yeah, you don't remember this? Yeah, I got you played Zelda. a lot of. Uh, That's only. Then I, I, yeah. <laughs> I like. That's what I was gonna say. I paused for eighteen months because I picked up the game. I was like, "Oh, last time I played this was two thousand eighteen. It's two thousand twenty-one." Who cares? It's quarantine time. Yeah, exactly. I will buy the South Park game and this other FIFA game, and then never touch. And it. then Animal Crossing, and never do anything with it, or whatever it's called. Is Animal Crossing only on the Switch? It is incredibly stupid. 
No yeah. offense to people who like it. I just do not understand the point. Uh, I yeah. tried. I tried. I tried. I tried. It's just, it is not my thing. Um, anyways, but like, there's just like, you know, you're kind of, we're stuck and we're waiting and, and yeah. it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. And like, you kind of screw up more than you succeed. You, you know, I've made Aaron cry a lot and I feel really bad about that. <laughs> and like, you know, and, um, and like, there are times where I'm like, that's a little out of left field, but like, there are, there are, like, there are like other times where I'm like, no, I was wrong. I was absolutely like, I'm the, I'm the asshole. I'm the bad guy. I'm the problem. You know, I want to hold up the Donald Miller sign. I'm the problem. There's my nipple. Yikes. Emotional hook. Hey, guys. Uh, <laughs> you, you always know Luke is being serious or trying to be whenever he says, hey, guys. In, like, that downbeat. That da- hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hey. It's like hey. Danny Tanner on, on uh, Full House. It's time to talk about your emotional and mental health. And that's actually what we want to do today, people. FaithfulCounseling.com slash foxes. Faithful Counseling is a team of licensed Christian counselors who share your faith and who want to help you through your problems. You can begin a conversation when you are ready, get this, by text or phone or even secure video conferencing from the comfort of your own home. You have faithful counselors who share your values and who are professionals with experience to help you process your issues. I just want to add, I've I've actually had some experience going to counseling over the interwebs, and it's been fantastic. So I cannot recommend this enough, especially um, right now, going to some type of a Christian counselor to talk about that. And here's a great opportunity to do that. Right. These are people who are going to combine biblical wisdom with clinical expertise in mental health. Okay. So they are professionals who are inviting God into the conversation. That is hugely important. This is not a crisis line, right? This is access to a thousand plus U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, and it's available worldwide. And you can communicate via text, chat, phone, or video, and it's all included. And you can start communicating, this is huge, in under 24 hours. That's fantastic. And the important thing for everyone to realize is financial aid is available for those who qualify. And we're going to start you off by going to faithfulcounseling.com slash foxes. Make sure you go to that URL so they know you came from us, and you will get 10% off of your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs, and you will get matched with a counselor you love. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash foxes. Uh, why don't you go ahead and repeat that on the website for all of the baby boomers in the back. Faithfulcounseling.com slash foxes. Thanks to Faithful Counseling for sponsoring this show. That was good. That was good. Yeah, the pregnant pause, I mean, it's so filled with meaning, but it's still in the meantime, you know, like you're still forced to wait. Um, I, I, I don't know, like Joey said something, uh, hashtag at, or not hashtag, at Angry Catholic on Twitter. He said, he's like, you know, millions of Catholics around the world haven't been, they don't get to receive Holy Communion every Sunday. Can we just be in solidarity with them in these couple months? And here's my problem. Here's my problem. You are not an expert on infectious disease. Uh, I'll go try. Oh, keyboard warrior. Your opinion on, quote, masks are stupid, quote, this whole quarantine is stupid, quote, quote, you know, like on and on. I understand that that's how you feel, and I kind of feel somewhat in that direction. But the moment I step into a public forum, especially one that is the church and I'm somewhat responsible for I'm going to follow any of the guidance that infectious disease experts offer us. I'm not going to follow the guidance of a news personality you like 
a blog you sometimes read, or a YouTube video you have watched. Like, you know, I think we self-inflicted this economic depression in a wild way. It, it is it is wild to me what is happening in our economy with all this. But I get the argument on the other side, and I take it seriously. So when we say we have done everything to have mass, and I get people who are like, how dare you? You want to keep us safe by making us wear a mask at church? I'm like, what the hell, people? Like, it, it looks like we're just fighting. Like, I really do think we are all so jaded right now that we really do think, like, everyone is either agreeing with me or they're a crook or they're corrupt. Like, the U.S. bishops, listen, there is so much that is riding on their shoulders. And they have experts who are telling them. I mean, like, in Texas, there are four criteria before we fully open up that our governor's handpicked experts agreed upon and we have met one of those criteria and we have opened up the state of texas regardless so his own experts say don't do this he did it anyway and now we have people being like you should have been opened up weeks ago and i was like okay weeks ago we would have had 10 people in the church do you magically get to be one of those 10 and then they say things that are so outlandish like oh i'm sorry jesus says you'll tread on serpents and poison will not kill you like and they literally put that in there, and they say things like, I guess God doesn't have any power now, does he? And I'm like, "You're that's not faith. That's superstition. That is superstition. Go grab your snakes. So I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, and I had people who, who are on the other side, but they don't complain that much. They're like, wow, I think it's really important that you're opening the church now. And that's basically all they say, because they can not come. Right, They can just not come. Whereas you have other people who want to come and they can't get in. That's where you're getting the agitation. But the people who don't want it open, like, yikes, you're making a terrible decision. Both of those opinions are raging out there and all those emails are coming at us. And we got this arrogant human person that's saying things like, I'm going to start the conversation because it's happening behind closed doors. Guess what? We get like 30 emails a day of people saying the exact same thing you're saying. And guess what? We're trying. We are trying our best. We literally gave out communion to hundreds of people last weekend but we made them wear a mask and 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 three people lost their damn minds yeah this one person said but i can't wear a mask because of this condition and it's like you have a condition you shouldn't be going to church how dare you tell me and it's like this this is literally this is why we do this because there are some people who feel so zealous in a good way that they override prudential health concerns in a bad way and that's who the church is protecting the people who say, well, I, you know what? If I get coronavirus, fine. I'll die, but at least I'll have Jesus. And it's like, yeah, but you'll take out 30 old people with you, you monster. Take a breath. Yikes. Ah! <laughs> I don't know what we're yeah, like about. Um, oh, like one thing, too, that I, I think we all, like for just our own, our like only sanity, should take a collective breath and just be like, hey, we're probably not in our right mind right right now. Like yeah. we're all about to we're all about to have a like this is like when quarantine actually gets real hard. Like yeah. really, really hard. And and everyone, everyone's got I don't care if you have, have kids, I don't care if you don't have kids, if you're married, like th- this is like this is difficult for everyone. And the only people who have it like harder than us 
are those who are like really holy and don't complain about the stuff going on in their lives. Like I have certain people in mind, but I don't want to name names, but like those are the people who I'm like, no, they're the ones who have a right to complain, but they don't because they're better than us. <laughs> um, well, better than you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, like this is one thing that I, I, I am worried about. It's like, like if, if, if I don't know how much more these people can actually take. Yeah. For people's own momentum. Well, like I feel like I'm about to lose my effing mind. Like, every half hour, I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> Why? Why? What's the point? What's the meaning of all this? Is that even a drywall? I, don't, I give up. I give I up. Watch, I, ah. I, like, I watched um, Waco, which was so interesting. So interesting. And I'm like, oh, God, is any of this real? Does God just do whatever he wants and we're just all nuts? Like, or it's like, is this just like, how could people who are so convinced that God's talking like, like, <laughs> what's happening? Like, why would some? Why would someone think that God has convinced them to do this? What is the? I mean, obviously the biography is about the Waco disaster, but um, what does it start at certain parts? Of yeah, it or it's like, it's really good. I mean, it's it's it, it drags during certain parts, but I thought it was excellent. Okay, excellent. Uh, it starts about. It starts right at the beginning of when the ATF. Uh, bang down their doors and things went awful and then goes back about nine months and builds up to it. It takes a couple. I'm, I am also I'm listening to a podcast on it and the podcast seems to have be more historically accurate. So it takes so the TV show does take a couple of liberties, but it gets the gist of the story down, I think. Oh, wow. OK. Oh, dude, that was horrible. Yeah. Like, I don't remember that because, I mean, I was 10 when when that happened. So yeah. like. My parents. Shannon was thirty-five. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. She was finishing up her first master's. Uh, <laughs> uh, she was. She was. <laughs> I'm so lucky to have. Her. You are. No, seriously, you are. I don't know what else was gonna. I mean, what would you have done? Who would you have dated? No one. I dated many people. You burn of a the lot female of bridges. Persuade. I did burn a lot. Of <laughs> I don't know how to break up, and I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> Your hand's so sweaty. Um, <laughs> I'm about to burn this bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a song to burn it by. All good people. No, so I only date perfect people. Like, he... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I keep my mouth Luke, shut. I keep my mouth you know shut. I do. But I, I'm keeping my mouth shut, but John, feel free to say what, what I, I want you to say. Hey, Gilmore, do you know what's scary as hell? Uh, yes, that and life. And with life, I think, honestly, guys, we talk a lot about being adults. And I think one of the first things in life when you are trying to be an actual adult that you're going to want to do is get life insurance. Wouldn't you agree with me? Or are you stupid? <laughs> Can people tell we're doing an ad for policygenius.com? <laughs> Listen, Luke, look, 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 before we start talking about life and being stupid, there are a lot of things in my past that I'm looking back on that I regret. Number one, I regret not going to Austria with you. I regret how my first relationship at Franciscan ended. Uh, and then the fact that you tried to date her at the same time as our friend Adam <laughs> Magny. I regret no, those I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I regret one day seeing you with two polo shirts with both colors popped. I regret just seeing that. What about you, Luke? Do you think certain people regret tucking in their, tucking in their shirt to the front part of their pants, but then having their shirt like out on the, ba- on the back part? <laughs> Luke, you're always going to get things wrong. That's just life. But there are some things we can also get right on the first try, like shopping for life insurance. That's where Policy Genius comes in. Policy Genius makes finding the right of life insurance like a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top in top insurers, say that with a speech impediment, to 
to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year. If you're a youth minister, you need to do this right now. That is like a whole month's salary yes. uh, a year by using policy on the genius to compare a life insurance policies. Have you tried out their website, Gilmer? Okay, yes. And the next bullet point we're supposed to hit is what I love about the service the most. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape for free. Here's my Policy Genius story. I was listening to Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey said, go on my website, make sure you got all the important things at your stage in life. So I fill out all my stuff, I hit send, and it says, you need this, this, and this type of insurance. The next day, Policy Genius said, we want to run ads with Catching Foxes. So I went on their website, did all the research for the insurance. All you do is you take a picture of your current documents and they match it up it's amazing it's amazing um we're about to have a child so that terrifies me <laughs> so i'm checking out different kinds different kinds of um, life insurance and while i was actually on there on my website we can also do like insurance for pets and stuff and i was like holy crap that could have saved me a ton of money when my dog's back two legs stopped working for two months and it's not just life insurance or pet insurance it's also home auto and disability there's a lot of stuff so even if you look back on your days of wearing triple denim and you feel nothing but regret you will never have to be distressed about life insurance with policy genius in just a few minutes you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com we all get things wrong from time to time at least we can get a life insurance right with policy genius a four-minute ad <laughs> thank you to policy genius for, for sponsoring, sponsoring this, this episode of catching foxes that was awesome. That was so funny. I feel good about that, and it should be four minutes long. Do you agree? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it is almost <laughs> a 10-minute topic. <laughs> this should be included. <laughs> oh, also, when you t- when, uh, listen, I'm dead serious, everyone. You really should do this. It's actually a very good idea. Yes, and Policy Genius, just to let everyone know, is America's leading online insurance marketplace. Thank you so much, Policy Genius, for sponsoring yeah, this show. Guys. In the middle of all my gigs canceling, I know that you're here with me. <laughs> Policy genius, unlike our children, won't ever let us down. <laughs> I hear to expect that in the long run. So, according to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, anyways, um, where were we? We're talking about oh, Waco and all. Okay, so like, I, did David Koresh? Did he? Did he know all that stuff? Did he? Did he really believe it, or was he manipulating people? Oh no, he was manipulating people. Yeah, you think so? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, what is a hick in Texas doing pretending like he's the second coming of Christ? Yeah, like, but, but here's the thing. Is he was doing this stuff for, like, I mean, since he was 19. He was, he was like, preaching and trying to be, like, like he didn't just all of a sudden go, like, oh, I'm going to start a cult. Like, this was, like, a decade and a half in the, in the making. Yeah. And it, it it gets tied into the seventh day, out of seventh day, mm-hmm. Adventist or whatever. Yeah, the Branch Davidians. Yeah, are the whole thing is fast. Yeah, like so he, and um, like I, I mean I think he was uh, manipulating people, but this guy like he knew scripture like you do. Like he yeah. now I don't know if he's in his like all of his followers. They said that he had the that he had the Bible memorized. I don't think that that's. True, but if you take what he took from the book of Revelation and how he interpreted it, it does follow a certain logic, which is a point that the TV show tries to make. Is this guy took a thing that he understood and he he manipulated it in a way that it made sense to people who have backgrounds in like a theology and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Huh. The rise of David Koresh, nineteen eighty one, so a year before I was born. Wow. A guy had an affair with a woman in her late 60s. He was in his yeah. late 20s. And yeah. David Koresh. He wanted to give her, like, the, like the have, like, the chosen, chosen one. one. 
Yeah. So that's weird. Yeah, wowzers. The whole thing is really, really weird. Like, yeah. this wasn't a cult that attracted, like, weird hippies. These were, like, these were lawyers. These were theologians. Like, these were people who, like, you know, we would think would know, would know better. I don't know. Perhaps all cults are like that. Perhaps they are filled with people who would just be kind of, would be shocked that, you know, buy into it and believe yeah. it. But like, so his original name was Howell. Yeah, it. Uh, oh, it was Vernon Howell. Vernon Howell. Basically, George Roden and Vernon Howell. He gets wow. married to a fourteen-year-old, and that's horrible. And they go to Israel, and he's he he's on like he's on like Mount David or whatever, like Mount Zion. I don't know which one. And he's there all day, and he basically <laughs> comes back and says, "God has revealed this stuff to me," and that's when he gets super crazy. Yeah, and it's a quick descent, and then he basically, I mean, he. Like, I mean, like, this guy's nuts. Like, he starts telling all of his followers that, like, he needs to have their wives, and they need to be absent, and he needs to be married to all their wives and have sex with all of them. He wanted to create a new lineage of world leaders. Yeah, he thought, like, the 24 elders were going to be of that are in the book of Revelation were going to be his kids. (laughs) Interpreting Revelation 5-2, Koresh identified himself with a lamb mentioned therein. I'm the lamb standing as though slain on an altar in heaven. You're in Texas. I know heaven. <laughs> no, but here's the thing: like, th- like this wasn't like. However, Koresh suggested that the Lamb would come before Jesus and pave the way for his second coming. Like it wasn't wow. like I- I'm not trying to defend David Koresh here, yeah. but I am trying to say like this wasn't someone who like didn't know. <laughs> but what the they man were. had some good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> the trains were always on time. No, no, no. Like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, is that too dark? Is that too dark? That's, that's, that's dark. That's dark. That's yeah, dark. that's dark. I'm sorry. Nine. That's dark. Ugh. Ugh. That's, that, that went dark. Um, I'll edit that sorry. shit out of the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, you probably should. I'm sorry. I, I wasn't. I'm just. Uh, it's horrible. All of, it, all of it's horrible. You've been watching too much South Park. <laughs> I, I was watching a lot of South Park clips today. I can hear it in your oh voice. Oh, my God. No, but what, what were you going to say about David Koresh, I don't right? Know. It, like, <laughs> I just don't think. Okay, so I think we need to be careful how susceptible we are to this stuff. Yeah. Like, this guy, this was not. But here's the most fascinating thing with the Branch Davidian and the Seventh-day Adventists and all that stuff. They are obsessed with the book of Revelation. There is nothing in modern Christianity that has divided more Christians than their interpretation of the end times. Nothing. I remember hearing uh, an evangelical Protestant say that. He said, uh, I think it was in the book Flesh. I might be wrong on that. But he was doing this book on the incarnation of Jesus. And he's like, let's just refocus back on Jesus and stop talking about whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-tribulation, rapture, all this stuff. And it's all of this. And that's what the Branch Davidians, right? The whole sect of Branch Davidians were created uh, uh, you know, as a reform movement within the Seventh-day Adventists, but it's like, okay, here, here's this guy, and he's the new prophet, and everyone has to follow that prophet. And once you call yourself a prophet, what do you speak but the Word of God? And to not listen to the prophet is what? Is to violate the Word of God. And so once you have, once people accept premise A, which is why I hate Bethel. I think Bethel is bullshit. Any Pentecostal movement church that claims to have a living prophet, you need to run away from. So Jesus culture and Bethel music and all that stuff, they have 
a guy that they call, there's like the prophet and the apostle or whatever they call themselves. And it's like, you need to run from them. You need to run from them because this is what's going to happen is people are going to cheer them on and cheer them on and they're going to get money. And once they get money, they call money divine favor. And then people are like, well, look at all they're done. Look at all the blah, 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 even though they're shouting heresy. Oh, my gosh. It happens all the time. And so I always tell people, like, Jesus gave us so little information about the end of time. Why do we keep doing this? Maybe if he gave us a little more information, we wouldn't have all these problems. Come on. Listen to me. (laughs) I'm going to jump this fence really, really quick, Lord. Hope you don't mind. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like, I guess, like, I guess why I bring this up is what scares me about David Koresh. I was so fascinated by all this. One, because I just think cults are fascinating, Um, especially the freaky dicky sex ones. Um, (laughs) You make more money as a leader, you you have have more more fun fun as as a a follower. follower. Like I kind of think he believed it. I mean, he might have. He might have. Like I think he. I think he. I mean, I think he, like he may. I'm not saying that he. Um, he may have convinced himself that he, he, you know he believed it. But there's just this like what he was doing. He didn't seem to real. I don't know. It could. It could be the power as opposed to the money and like the control. Yeah. It could be that that's what he, you know. I, yeah. I don't know. It's weird, man. And I just like there are certain uh, movements in the, in the church right right now that like give me v- v- pause. Yeah, you know. Um, the people that are involved are great, and I don't doubt that God is doing stuff. But it sometimes can feel a little bit like um, there's just nothing to keep it in line. Like anything without the heavy hand of the magisterium now scares me, and this is coming from a person who like <laughs> and was simultaneously the magisterium. Yeah, no, and and and, but, and then that's like 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 here's the thing about the magisterium as to why like I know it's real because it sucks so bad, you know, like it is so profoundly broken. Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of like it's how I don't trust anyone who like works in ministry who doesn't have an existential crisis about their job every um couple of months. Or like isn't doesn't have Catholic jobs like on their catch just like immediately pop up, you, you know? Because it's like you you this you can you should never be comfortable in this. This should always be a be a calling, and there gets this level of comfort and like comfort and power and a manipulation through what I think is nine out of ten times good intentions that worries me. Yeah. Like, you know, I just like in my dad's charismatic group thing, you know, like every group thinks are going to change the world, right? Or like God is doing a new thing. I'm, I don't ever want to hear God is doing a new thing in the church again. That's, I probably shouldn't say that out, out loud. Brothers and sisters, God is doing an old thing. It's called the Paschal Mystery. He's yeah, just he's making it that. new every day. Like, <laughs> it, it, it kind of drives me nuts. Like, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you one of the reasons right along with that, what you're saying. Um, there is a certain thing that I hate, a series of apparitions and diaries and, and books and writings. I, uh, I It was shoved down my throat for years, and then I rejected it. But one of the things they say is, like, all the saints up until this person and their revelation didn't – basically, it, they, it, it alleges that they don't have the full gospel until now. And I keep saying this to the people in my life that I love who shall remain nameless, why – I don't believe in this. I'm like, you are cheapening what Christ has done for you and the power of the Holy Spirit within you so that you can aggrandize this other thing. 
I said, all the things these people are saying might actually be in line with the church, but by saying, well, it starts now, that's the lie. That's the subtle twist to the gospel. No, it happened 2,000 years ago at Pentecost, where the death and resurrection of Jesus is now capable of being a part of my existence called grace. That's the new thing. The new law, St. Thomas Aquinas says, is the Holy Spirit in your life. And when I hear that, and then I hear these apparition seekers and worshipers almost, um, it drives me It drives me absolutely insane. It drives me absolutely insane. But the other thing is, if it is legitimate, um, a legitimate apparition, then you can't, even though you're, you know, it's minor revelation, uh, p- private revelation, not minor, you're not obliged to follow any of its stuff. Um, it's still prophecy. If it's real, that's really Mary talking. So you at least have to have respect for it. So I'm really hoping the church shoots this one down. <laughs> I'm like, yikes. Get rid of Strike while the iron's hot. It's hot. Um, yeah. No, you know, like I, I think a lot about my parents' charismatic group, how like over basically the course of yeah. a couple of weekends, they blew, they exploded from a couple, uh, a couple of individuals to over 300 people in the 70s. Well, you know, you would any if that were to happen right now, try to imagine there's a group that over the course of a month and a half, two months explodes to like hundreds. Yeah. We would all go, holy crap, what's this new? Like, we would all say this is the new thing. But then it just doesn't, then it like, and it like, why can't the stuff that like a movement does just be in our own lives? Like, because yeah. I think you could argue that like what happened in that was great. It was awesome. It it profoundly changed. We would not have met had this group yeah. not. I probably wouldn't even exist if that group hadn't happened. Like I don't think my parents because would have that met. group was present when you were being conceived. <laughs> they were cheering everyone on, going, "Go, go, go!" This <laughs> Lift high the banners, banners of love. <laughs> this is how this is how charismatic uh, groups worked in the early eighties. Yeah, they all gathered around. They're all outside with like tambourines and stuff, cheering my parents on. Look at that 80-year-old man with a glad tambourine. He is excited we are about to make Lukey. Someone, <laughs> someone's got, like, a guitar, and they're, like, you know, like, yeah, like kind of unbolting, but it's still pretty long down down to their shoulders. <laughs> Jeans like and white Austria. T-shirts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Jeans and white T-shirts and knights in white satin. Praise and worship. A psalm on the lips. A rosary on the hips. <laughs> Catholic charismatic community. <laughs> so, but it, um, why does it always go back to the night I was conceived? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my poor mom is hearing this just being like, that's not how it was. We just got drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it was Michael Bolton music, I yeah, swear. I had an extra thing of wine, and then they played Michael Bolton. The next thing you knew, you were conceived. Okay, so did your mom ever go through a yawny phase? No. Okay. Done. My mom. Br- oh, yeah. Uh, no. No. I would. I. I probably had a more Yanni phase than my mom did. <laughs> I go through periods where, where I get where I get real into Enya. Sail away, sail away, sail away. There's nothing wrong with that. Her voice is ethereal. Go like, on. <laughs> but I think we always want to like we always want to package it and patent it and sell it, and have to have a big national thing behind it in order for it to be real. As opposed to like just this thing that happened in these people's lives that profoundly changed everyone's life, and that was really good. But it, you know, if you were to judge it by like the standards that a group like Focus is at, you'd say that they failed. But I would say, au contraire, they they like were a success beyond anyone's wildest in like imagination for what really came out of that it just doesn't have to have this huge reach to be impactful or even important how to know you're in a cult 
<laughs> One, Luke thinks it's kind of cool. Two, <laughs> easy way to make money. Three, poor catechesis, yet sold millions of books to Catholic parishes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Opposing critical thinking, isolating members and penalizing them for leaving. Emphasizing special doctrines outside of scripture, seeking inappropriate loyalty to their leaders, dishonoring the family unit, crossing biblical boundaries of behavior versus sexual purity and personal ownership, separation from the church. I think those are that's a good list. Sorry, I was I'm looking at the comments really quick. There's one that I want to bring up. Go on. Bring it up. No, no. it's uh Yeah, so opposing critical thinking. See, like, I think about this all the time. Never once in my life as a Roman Catholic that I ever feel like understanding the dogmas of the church were a constraint in thinking. Like, I didn't feel like, like, like I don't have internal external pressures to conform to Catholicism. I believe it's true from its first principles to its conclusions. And so just like I do theorems of mathematics, right, like just because there's an axiom out there or a theorem out there doesn't mean, oh, man, how dare you impose your facts on me? Like I, I, I think these dogmas are true because I think God is speaking the truth. Yes, through these individuals and blah, blah, blah. We can go through that. But I've never once felt like because when I was growing up in Broken Arrow, they used to say that Catholicism was a cult. Because, you know, oh, the Pope, this charismatic leader, claims infallibility and impeccability, um, you know, sinlessness and all this stuff, you know, which is absurd. And it was all these errors mixed in. But I, I remember going to Mass and just being like, I'm going to church like everyone else. Like a guy preaches from the Bible. We learn some things. We got change some weird our lives. Robes. He's got some weird robes. Old people There's are playing. Dead guy. Hanging over our heads the whole time, and then we eat the god that we worship. Old people this is crazy. music. Like, what's... <laughs> I remember this dude. This dude, newly converted, uh, newly converted, newly converted dude. His friend was like, "I can't believe you became Catholic. You were so metal." He's like, "What do you mean, man?" He's like, "You were so metal. The opposite of metal is Roman Catholicism." And he goes, are you kidding me? Roman Catholicism is the most metal religion that has ever existed. I've heard this stuff before, yeah. And he said, prove it. And he's like, you eat the god you worship. Uh, The priest wears robes from 1,500 years ago. There's a dead guy hanging on a cross over your heads the whole time. It's pretty dang metal. Screw you, Luke. (laughs) I tell stories six or seven times. (laughs) No, I've heard people talk about, like, comparing the church. Like, the church is so heavy metal, man. You know, and blah, 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 blah. Because the candles and the Ozzy Osbourne and the, you know. Yep. You remember, yeah. Do you remember the Osbournes? That was fun. No. Do you remember never fun, stupid reality TV before everything happened? You mean the Real Housewives? Uh, no, I'm talking like Hogan Knows Best, the Newlyweds. What other <laughs> horrible things that ruined people's lives that we found joy out of? Um, uh, everyone, give us your questions. Come on. Don't, don't be idiots. I mean, they're all great. What was your question? I thought you said you had something. Ah, not really. Oh, you're the worst. No, it was you're just it was it was worst. saying how there was something that compared how uh, Greek life compared how they recruited uh, recruited people was the same of of uh, how cults did or something like that. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, it's fair. I, oh, that's beautiful. I totally would have been in a frat if I'd gone to a normal college. Okay. Uh, Franciscan was a normal college. <laughs> we had mosh pits at our parties to. 
Jesus freak. That's normal. Oh, my gosh. There are times when I'm like, this was a great place. And there are times where I'm like, I have an extra year of therapy because of this. <laughs> what do you need therapy for? Come on. Where to draw the line between internal consumption of media and mindless dis- distraction? This is a very good question. Thanks, Jonathan. Where to draw the line between intentional consumption of media and mindless distraction? I have a thought, but if you want to go ahead. You should only apportion, because I, I do this with YouTube where I mindlessly consume. And that was actually one of the points that Pope Benedict made on that article is you click link after link and then hours go by. Yeah, I I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you have to be more intentional about it other than, because I usually try to research topics when I'm on YouTube, whether it's like woodworking or whatever. And when I feel like I've exhausted a topic or am exhausted myself, that's usually when I back away. But I don't know. All this stuff is way too easy to... Um, to consume i don't know i think there needs to be two things at at play one is you need to have the right disposition which i think is trying to understand as opposed to just mindlessly consume i think that's 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 important now there are some times where i think it's it's fine to just be able to like i'm just engaged for a for a bit i think having a hard stop saying i am doing this for a half hour i'm doing this for 10 to 15 uh, 10 to 15 minutes and then you have to stop. You do you have no no matter how good it is, no matter how how interesting it is, you have to stop. Yeah. And then also I would add um putting first things first, that old Stephen Covey line. So if you're if the things that you need to do that day aren't done and which is which which this was me like on Saturday, when I needed to like clean the bathrooms and stuff, instead I was playing. I was playing video games. And Aaron's like, "This is what you're doing," and then I felt horrible. Um, <laughs> I had things I needed to. Uh, yeah. Yep. Sure is. I just got picked up by Everton. Um, like there are, we have priorities, and we need to like we need to meet those. So you can't be on the internet for two and a half hours uh, if you've got to clean your bathroom. So you're saying, like, the mindless consumption can't interrupt your normal life. I'm saying that you need to, like, put first things first. And, it, and so uh, I, I think there are times w- w- when it can, that it can even be a, um, a good thing. Which so, okay, you need to have the right disposition of wanting to, wanting to understand, putting first things first of here are the things that I'm not, I need to have done before I do all this stuff. And then two, have hard stops. So if you want to take a break in, you know, in the morning, especially right now, you want to do like 15 minutes, that's great. I think that's fine. 20 minutes, half hour, that's, that is totally fine. But you have to stop. At the, ha- like, at the half hour mark, you got to go, I'm done. And it turns off and you're done. And it's actually like you kind of have to control it as opposed to it it's controlling you. So we're getting some great questions in the chat. Thank you to yeah. Jason again for being so cool. Uh, do you want to start? Oh, I don't. Uh, let me pull it up. All right. Garfield and friends. Okay, uh, here's one that I, I want to start off with that I, that I uh, think would be fun. What is the Catholic Church's teaching on the end times? Uh, I mean, number one, you can go find that in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Boring. Under the first part of the creed. <laughs> 
the church always emphasizes uh, the four last things, right? Death, judgment, heaven, hell. Um, smoking or non-smoking for all eternity. The other, so when you go to the catechism, right, catechism is divided into four parts. First part's creed, and within the creed, I will give you the exact thing. Um, I believe in life everlasting. So here are some things that people don't understand. So your body will be resurrected. This sexy body will be resurrected to a glorified state. Uh, everyone will have a particular judgment where you go before the throne of God and are judged. Um, purgatory is your final purification. Uh, and then there will be the last judgment, right? That's where that's also known as the general judgment. And then a new heaven and a new earth. The church does not actually teach tons of specifics. It doesn't teach the rapture. It doesn't teach all the stuff. Now, there are prophecies that have been approved by the church, um, and those have been compiled in a book. One's called Trial, Tribulation, and Triumph, but I think they weave some non-approved. I might be wrong on that. It's been years since I've seen that. But um, can I tell you, the thing that actually makes me most excited is people around Dr. Scott Hahn's view. So there's views of the book of Revelation that says the book of Revelation was written to Christians, specifically Jewish Christians living in the Holy Land, for God's judgment on Jerusalem, the Old Testament world. So when you look at the seven-headed, ten-horned dragon that destroy, you know, persecutes the church, well, I mean, the Bible, I mean, the, the book of Revelation is very clear. It said that ancient city that is called where the prophets were cruci- or killed and our Lord was crucified, that is spiritually called Sodom and Babylon. Well, that's Jerusalem that the prophets called all that stuff. And uh, from 67 to 70 AD, Rome laid siege to it for a time, half a time, and two times, which is what the book of Revelation says for three and a half years. And the seven-headed, ten-horned dragon, there were seven essentially uh, potentates over the Holy Land that were empowered by, or ten potentates empowered by seven Caesars from the time of Christ to 70 AD. And it was brutal. I mean, it, uh, the, uh, you know, and you read the Wars of the Jews by the first century Jewish historian turned Roman prisoner uh, Josephus, and he wrote about the wars that took place. And they were horrific. And literally not one stone was left upon another at the end of that. And... Uh, Jesus is very clear in um, Matthew's gospel called the Olivet Discourse, where he gives a discourse from the Mount of Olives, where he says, um, if you're in Jerusalem, flee to the hills. He doesn't say that to every single, I mean, that, that message wasn't sent out to community. In fact, we know that there was a Christian community living in Jerusalem. They fled to a mountain town called Pella, and there's no evidence that Christians were killed in 67 to 70 AD. And so... It's fascinating when you start to look at this this stuff, um, how the book of Revelation in its principal fulfillment was probably already fulfilled in 70 AD with the closing of the Old Testament world. Hmm. Now it's not about an earthly Jerusalem, it's a heavenly Jerusalem, but there's still an element of it that's not yet fulfilled. So we call it the already and the not yet. And so, in one sense, you could say that it closed down the earthly Jerusalem as the center of all of our activity and opened up a heavenly Jerusalem as the center of our activity, a.k.a. the church. So that's a pretty brutal reading in some regards. Some some people have taken that reading and made it very anti-Semitic, as you can kind of hear. Like, it's not just a church took Israel's place, but Israel was destroyed by God. Some people are like, I don't want to go down that way. But we are not Christian Zionists. I mean, you can believe that the Jews should have a homeland in the land of Canaan, but we don't believe what Protestants believe about any of those end-time stuff concerning the temple being rebuilt and animal sacrifices and Davidic kings and uh, you know any of that stuff. We don't. 
There's so much of that shenanigans going around. So many Catholics buy into it, and they should not. I, sh- I think the stuff is fascinating, so it's interesting. Like the rapture. Uh, Anglican theologian N.T. Wright nails it. He said, the rapture is like being caught up to the clouds in uh, First Thessalonians, I think First Thessalonians. But the idea of like, we're going to get caught up in the clouds, and we're all going to disappear, and then all the unbelievers are going to be left behind. Good luck flying airplanes. <laughs> Enjoy your Kirk Cameron. <laughs> but uh, the idea of that, N.T. Wright says, is, no, when the emperor comes to the town, you meet him outside the city gates and then bring him in. There's a reason why the heavenly Jerusalem descends from heaven to, to a new earth. Right? You're going out of the city to welcome the emperor into the city. You see this if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, right? Every time there's the queen, the whole retinue goes out to greet them from the dock or the land Mm -hmm. into the city. Imagine if the emperor was coming and no one came out to greet him, right? That's like the greatest disrespect you could have. No, you go out and meet the king and then you bring him in. So there's elements of that that, uh, that are just fascinating. But you will have a body in the new heavens and the new earth. You will have a body. It is a physical existence. You are a rational animal. That's what we are. Fourth ladder and council. I really hope it's my body from around 2013, 2014. (laughs) I was in damn good shape then. God's like, oh, I got a joke for Luke. It's going to be his body in it. 1986. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you look like Winston Churchill? If you see me as a baby, that's actually like my early um, baby of the pictures. I'm not a pretty, I look like Winston Churchill. Like it's not, it's not good. I'm really hoping. I we will fight them in the fields. <laughs> we will fight the. <laughs> we will swatch the big birds in the field. We will watch the cookie monsters in the sea. We will go to Brooklyn and we will go to a bodega. We will, will start smoke these money. cigars as we talk about the new Mister Rogers show. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, do you think influencer culture smacks of cultish behavior? Um, not really, but it can. Like I, I think I don't think it's gotten. I'm sorry. Are you judging my Lord and Savior Logan Paul? I will punch you in the mouth. <laughs> no, no, I'm judging your Lord and Savior um, Jesse Raymond, Chloe Kardashian. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Who is that? Um, who? Yikes! Who's Jesse Raymond? I, th- I never even I heard that name I think he's some Catholic speaker that used to talk at Stuyville. That was on. Now it was a Taylor Marshall thing. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. Oh, <laughs> Jesse Ramiro. Yeah, I that's think. it. That's it. I don't know. I have no idea who he is. I'm sure he's very nice. Um, I no, because I don't think they're really advocating for like a belief system. Yeah. You know, I think it's just weird influencers. Now, I, I think some of your more religious ones, maybe they can go down that go down that route. Like I don't, I don't really think it's a cult because it's not a belief system. It's just like an activity. It's not until I, I don't really think there's any real cultish stuff within the church. I mean, influ- I mean, it's a, it's a, you could say it's a cult of personality. Yeah, but that's right? but that's like different. People, than but a Father cult. Mike, like think about Father Mike Schmitz. When Father Mike Schmitz shows up at an event with young adults, I feel so bad. Number for one, him. I feel my so heart bad goes pitter patter. Oh yes, but uh, yeah, um, but he is not trying to leverage that into anything. No, he's just trying to tie his shoe in an autograph line for him. <laughs> Poor guy. True story. Trying to tie his shoe, literally, and a line. We had a table where people could come and meet us, and instead, the poor man just ties his shoe, and he gets a line fifty people deep. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. We were all like, "Oh, that's." Awesome. The best part was when you just go, no, no, guys, this is the Captain Fox's line. (laughs) I can tell he loved that. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, you're you're in the wrong line. That's Father Mike Smith. This is the table for Catching Foxes. Foxes. We're over here. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So is it just online influencers? I mean, I, you know, um, a buddy of mine used to do influencer marketing. That and sounds they would exhausting just, and stupid. Right. Well, they would just pay big bucks to big influencers with big followings. And all of a sudden, they would generate a lot more bucks for their brand. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the reason why. I'm just saying the whole thing now just sounds exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds exhausting being an influencer. Like, I would hate that. Like, that that movie that I uh, told you not to watch, um, The American Meme, which is actually made by Paris Hilton, and you don't know it until the end of the movie, Um, and even though she's a character in it. the whole thing is like all these people who are exhausting themselves trying to be like this one girl who was funny on Vine and then Vine collapsed and her whole career bottomed out. Now she's making pennies doing YouTube. But it's like this exhausting. And this one guy who goes to party scenes and pours champagne on drunk girls, he had this line where he said, I hate the way I feel in the morning because I am so hungover. He said, but these are the kind of people I don't want to deal with if I'm sober. Like, I don't even want to have a conversation with them unless I'm incredibly drunk because I hate these people. And you're like, you need to get a new job. You know, I, 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 again, we are not big at all, but we have our platform. And I, I, I could, like, it's more of a diving board. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is my, I've got, I've got a nipple, Greg's. Can you milk me? I think Shannon's trying to. Snip, snip here. Okay, um, that's definitely going to be the album artwork. Keep going. <laughs> no, so um, it, like, just the amount of work it takes to do that to like have to do that stuff, and the amount of stuff that you have to do to just be relevant. For me, I just don't care. Like, it's not. I I would much rather. I I am. I have found more personal content with what we do when we build fans off of our show or, or organically. Than people who connect with us on online. It's been cool, and we, we have met some really. We've I, I would say I've made some like actual um, real like real life like friends off of that, but I would rather. I haven't really found any sort of joy, or really any way that has helped our podcast by trying to advocate for the podcast online. Yeah. Like with it's just it hasn't led to anything good, and I I found I find way more content. Um, and we more almost satisfaction and just a hell of a lot more life and just doing what we naturally do on the podcast as opposed to trying to, you know, be important on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. You know, the author that I was talking to, he's, him and his co-author have authored, I think, 20 books in five years. And they're all like 360 pages or more. And I said, how, how do you produce this much? Like, what do, you, what do you do? And he said, and I loved it. I might in, include it in this week's show, but he just, or next week's show. He said... I begin to write, or before I begin to write, I pray. And, uh, and he talked about the importance of him. You know, and he, he doesn't write religious books. He writes military science fiction. And he said, I go through all this stuff. And, and he started talking. And a little bit later, he said, you know, one of the things that I've seen of people who peter out is they're constantly caught up in the social media machine, whereas authors, you're taught to do by your publishers. Like, you know, get connected on Instagram and on Facebook and on this. And he has a Twitter account. And he says, I will respond to anyone who writes to me on Twitter. And that's how I got my interview with him. But he said, I don't live to make content for the people who like my stuff. He said, to be honest with you, I'm writing the stuff that I think gives glory to God in my own, in what I'm capable of doing. And this is like science fiction. And, he sa- and so I brought it up later and I said, you know, it's funny. Jordan Peterson had this thing where... 
He said, one of the things that religion does for us, it is it allows us to have a channel of positive good that's not dictated by my own selfish desire. I'm doing it for me. Or it's not dictated by crowd think, which you don't really know what it is anyway. I'm doing it for the people, the fans, you know, whatever. Because I don't know what, like me and you talk about all the time. We'll have an episode that'll be incredible and we have no idea why in terms of downloads. And then we have episodes that we're like, nailed it, and it'll just totally, totally yeah. crap out. There are somewhere I'm like, 6,000 in one day, come on! <laughs> yeah, and you're like, what happened? What did we do? Let's reproduce that. But we don't know what that was. And to reproduce it, you know, it could have just gone on a website and then a whole bunch of people who never would have discovered us discovered us, and that's an episode they liked. But the idea of, like, trying and, – and it's funny because when you try to meet the needs of the crowd, you don't even know what their, their wants, desires, needs are. You don't. And so we're constantly guessing, and you're looking at and, – and this is one of the things about, like, if you follow bloggers or vloggers, they're like, oh, well, in the month of March, I had one video that went viral. So I'm going to write more on that topic or I'm going to do more videos on that topic. But it's like, but that topic did the thing that the people wanted, and it just clicked. How do you do that? How do you focus on the thing that you, like, how do you generate, like, good quality content? What's the thing that the Kathy Truick or whatever his name is from uh, Chick-fil-A said? If we become great, our customers will demand we become bigger rather than becoming bigger so that we can serve our customers even greater. He said, uh, and he, at the time it was Boston Market was their number one competitor. And they took out a billion dollar financing in order to spread throughout all of America. And everyone was like, dude, spread, spread, spread. And he's like, no, we are going to become, we're going to focus on the few stores that we have to be better than anyone. And then our customers will demand we become bigger. And that's what they did. And when I said that with Jason Anspach, I said, or Anspach, I said, it's almost like when you do something for the glory of God that comes from what your natural skills are and, and whatever, you're able to both do something that's outside of yourself but not for the crowd. And he goes, yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. It's almost like people talk about, like, I have a muse, right? J.R. Tolkien or um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Rollins. J. 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 K. Yeah, J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rollins. Rollins. Henry Rollins. <laughs> Henry so Rollins' sweet. love child. Uh, but the, he, she said, she talks about having this muse, and it's a way for her to distance the ideas from herself. So I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot there. But influencer marketing is, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I'm just generating what you want. I don't know. I'm not happy about the willingness of Pinocchio to make a fool of himself to support this false celebrity. And so... I actually think that's why the celebrity types like that often get narcissistic and arrogant. You know, it's because they, they aren't paying attention. They're not paying attention, really, to what's happening inside of them. They drown it out because the, 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 the glory and the money and all that is so attractive and enticing. They don't notice. They refuse to notice what price they're paying for it. And they magnify up their grandiosity and their arrogance to keep that stuff all under control. And then, of course, they get surrounded by sycophants, which is a really bad thing, right? They, they get surrounded by people who will tell them exactly what they want to hear. And that's really bad if, if what you want to hear from other people is not good for you. To surround yourself with people who won't offer you genuine criticism or even genuine reward. It's the same thing. Like, you want from me that I differentially reward and punish you in approximately the way that the good part of the crowd will. That's what you want from all your friends. Because then your interactions with them can generalize out to the broader community in a productive way. And so a good friend 
you know, I mean, your friends tend to be on the supportive side, and perhaps that's appropriate, assuming there's reciprocity. But a good friend will also tell you when, one way or another, when your behavior is starting to tilt in a direction that's going to make you unpopular with them and likely unpopular with other people. And, of course, that's what a parent is supposed to That's the prime job of a parent, in my estimation. It's like, don't do that. Other people will hurt you if you do that. By exclusion, by threat, by failure to offer you an opportunity, bad things will happen to you. So you can't do that. And then you're a representative of the social situation, which is exactly what you should be, not a friend. Do you ever follow Logan Paul? I don't even know who that is. You know it if you saw his feathered bangs. Uh, no, thank but, you then. Yeah, he was a YouTuber that became really famous doing stuff. And I remember I, I first heard of him after he had already, you know, super sky eye, millions of dollars. He was doing a take a tour of my house, of my new house. And it's this sprawling mansion. And he's jumping off the roof, doing backflips, laying on a trampoline, jumping into the pool. Super athletic, all this stuff. But he's, try, he's constantly trying to change his brand. And one of them was he picked a fight with another vlogger or someone, and he boxed them, and it was like this Was he the one that, like, saw the dead body? Yeah, in Japan. Ugh. Yeah, and that marked the end of that whole phase of his thing. No, thank you. Yeah. yeah. But he's still doing tons of stuff, and he's like, our primary audience is not 8 to 12-year-olds. It's 15-year-olds, you know? so you're doing a different thing. I don't know. It's, it's too hard. I don't know. What have you learned the most about yourself during during quarantine? I have an actual actual answer to this. Um, I think I have some real uh, tension issues that I am going to get professional help for. What do you mean tension issues? Um, no, attention. 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 It is just like so incredibly difficult for me gotcha. to be able to transition from one thing to another and just uh, – and I'm like, I was, I'm looking up some stuff. I'm like, huh, I need to go, and I think I need to maybe dive a little bit more into this. So I'm gonna, you know, uh, I've got an appointment arranged for that, and I'm also gonna be doing just some behavior modifications as well in terms of like when I sleep, diet, exercise, other things like that. But I just, uh, interesting, I'm just finding it so hard just to focus. Uh, I find that I, I the only way that I really tend to thrive is if I put insane constraints on myself. So I'm like, okay, I've got to do, you know, these 20 calls here in a half hour. This is all I have. Go. You, you know, or, or something like that as opposed to just saying. Hello, Domino's. Do you still deliver? Awesome. <laughs> Hello, Chuck E. Cheese. Do you still deliver? No? Awesome. <laughs> uh, I ordered 30 pizzas all there in under 30 minutes. Woo! Still got it. U.S.A. Um, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, so just like seeing, okay, I need to make some real changes there. The peculiar challenge of our present, one of them anyway, I think is that we find ourselves at a new stage of capitalism, one that's predicated on the ever more aggressive appropriation of our attention, often by mechanized means. This makes cultivating the habits and pleasures of deep, slow thinking a difficult matter. And if that's so... um, It means we have to understand liberal education with reference to the surrounding culture, identify the ways that culture may compromise our humanity, and from that beginning reflect on what sort of education can lead one out. And that's when it hit me that a new frontier of capitalism has been opened up by our self-appointed disruptors. It's one where you win competitive advantage by being the most aggressive in digging up 
and monetizing every bit of private headspace. If you ride the bus in Seoul, South Korea, you'll find yourself at the cutting edge of this. Uh, so a smell resembling that of Dunkin' Donuts coffee is released into the ventilation system <laughs> whenever a Dunkin' Donuts ad, you know, the jingle plays over the bus's sound system, which happens just as the bus is pulling up outside a Dunkin' Donuts and the, the driver announces the fact in case you somehow missed it. <laughs> There remain many areas for further progress. <clears throat> so the homework, report cards, permission slips, all those little communications that uh, teachers send home with, with students are in many school districts still blank on the back. So here's a gross offense against the efficient use of space. But there's at least one school district in Peabody, Massachusetts that now sells advertising space on the backs of these slips of paper. Oh, gosh. Uh... I mean, there's a lot, and there's some very specific things. I learned uh, there's a difference between being a, uh, aggressive in a good way and a bad way. Maybe we'll just say assertive versus aggressive. Um, and I think that uh, it could be very dangerous when you're in a group of people that all agree, when you're in charge of stuff, and you need to not agree just to get the group thinking outside of yep. Yep. its self-composed um, agreement cycle or uh, you know like reaffirmation that's actually cycle. really dangerous because you lose touch with reality yeah um i learned about my me and my relationship with my wife that we actually do very well doing morning prayer together um i learned that um it is very difficult talking to a church of 1400 empty seats and staring at a tiny little camera and trying to relate to that camera because there's a thousand people on the other side and i don't get to see or hear them and I failed four times out of six, utterly failed in all my talks. Um, yeah, and uh, I realized just how hard um, this quarantine has made my planning, my future. Uh, you know, I need to. I, I I need to get a van. My van is dying. Like there's so much. My wife's phone just stopped working today, and I'm like, I. I got. I have no idea where this is coming from. Like, why, Lord, in the middle of all the shenanigans, is this crap happening? Uh, so when all the gigs start crashing, me and my wife are just like, okay, well, we'll just pray more. And there's an element of cool underneath it. But I'm really diving into leadership stuff because I need to. That's good. Patreon.com slash CF. Again, that is Patreon.com slash CF. <laughs> Um, I would also add, like, I'm just, I've realized, like, you know, if, if I'm honest, like, just how scared I am about being a dad. I'm really, really scared. I'm really, I'm yeah. scared I'm going to screw it up. I'm scared that I am not ready. I'm scared that I've screwed up on my life to a point where, you know, and this is all just, like, insecurities and stuff. But I'm, yeah. you know, and it's just tough because, like, how do you cope? You know, like, it's, it's, like, one thing that's, like, I just feel so tired all the time. I'm like, why the hell am I so tired? And one thing that I saw that really, like, helped me. I mean, not be less tired, but just understand because it's be like you're in survival mode right right now. Because I'm I'm scared about the economy. Like I'm scared. I'm scared yeah. that I'm bringing a kid into a world where there is now mass unemployment. It could just this could just I'm I'm terrified of this thing dragging on. Like I'm gen I am very worried for the economy. <laughs> like very very concerned. I'm scared there will be no World Cup. I which would mean I will miss two. I am just utterly um, scared. You know. And I was that supposed to be the one in Cutter? Yeah, yeah. 
which uh that's a whole mess Yikes. yeah yeah Yikes. i know i just like change it please change the location of this what is wrong with you people a lot of money <laughs> that's what's wrong this is so wrong this is so so wrong yeah I don't know. Uh, do we have any other? Oh, oh yeah, we have sorry. time. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, yeah, so nope. I'm just scared, and I'm okay with being scared. Uh, if you had to pick, which do you prefer, Star Wars prequels or the newest trilogy? Uh, oh, oh, so funny. So here's what. Oh, I totally forgot about this, oh. and I wanted to share this last time. Things I've learned during the quarantine. Um, okay, my daughters taught themselves how to rollerblade. My youngest son taught himself how to ride a bike. It was incredible. So they all are super active outside. Um, and I cut my son Noah's hair and my son Thomas's hair. I was so scared I was going to end up giving them a bowl cut because I don't know how to do, like, the fade thing. I've never done the fade thing. I did the fade thing. But I instead, they usually get a cut on a two, and I cut it on a five. Actually, I cut it on a six, and then I went down to a five. And then I'm like, you know what? Close enough. We're done. Um, it doesn't look terrible. I cut their hair. Good job. That's another thing I found out about <laughs> myself. You. I haven't gotten a haircut, even though I can now in the state of Texas or in Montgomery County. Um, but yeah, that was those was that was big. Me and my wife pretty literally. Oh, I'm sick at building uh, tram tracks in Minecraft. So yeah, that's all I build. I just build choo choo trains. <laughs> choo choo all aboard the train and ride a Gomer train. Um, all right, other questions. Uh... See in the podcast, people who are listening or watching this right now in the podcast is going to be exciting music, yeah, quick transitions, yeah, not just that'd, going, uh, that'd be going, uh, what Poor is the Jason. point? Jay, what Jason's is the like, point? I like this show until I watched how it was made. Yeah, then I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just sad and chubby, chubby. <laughs> uh, did you say chubby? I did. Besties, uh, will you guys spoon the next time you physically see each other? Who no, is nice. a little spoon? Yeah, no, I'm I miss seeing you, man. It sucks. I know. I, I, I really know. like people. Please book Luke, your life. Flights are cheap. Flights are cheap. Let me come meet with you. Hang out with your pregnant wife. Flights are cheap. <laughs> come on, Gilbert. Uh, we can delay setting up this nursery a bit. Um, no, um, I'm, I'm, I, man, it was fun because we were seeing each other like once a month or, or at least once every three months. And that's been one of the best parts of all this. And that's taken out. We've we've spent many a nights in a hotel room together. <laughs> usually, we're not I'm, always in the same bed, but sometimes, sometimes in the same bed. <laughs> and usually, here's our routine: Gomer gets in a little bit like later than what he anticipated. He's a little <sighs> bit stressed out. We drop off our stuff. We go straight to the thing. We tend to drink too much. Gomer has to leave really early, and I'm too passed out to have a real goodbye. but mostly mostly because i panic at the last moment that i'm sacrificing my relationship with my family so i change my ticket the night before (laughs) and only when only when we're having drinks with our hosts and i say can you take me to the airport at 5 a.m is that going to be a problem and they go no that'll be fine (laughs) and then i'm like okay that only cost me 120 dollars i'm like blame him (laughs) you're like i'm sorry what I'm yeah. sorry. I'm going to throw up in a Walgreens bathroom in Wisconsin. <laughs> that was such a low moment of mine. <laughs> that was such a low. Like I didn't. I. I just. I don't know what happened. But I miss Wisconsin. Those were that great was folks. fun. What was the name? That bar what was, was the name awesome. Yeah. Uh, what was the name? name of it that had a place. fun name. And it we had made a fun some name. Apple. Apple. Something. That was the name. Was it? It was like Apple Town or Apple. Appleton. Appleton. Yeah, do you remember that girl out. that we made mad when we talked about this one guy and how he was really bad? And she was like, you guys just probably should, you know, I don't know, or something like that. And I was like, oh, I thought we were cool. And then you got mad about what we said about this guy. Never mind. 
Yikes. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. <laughs> Appleton. <laughs> what is it called? The area was called like Appleton. Fox something. No, the I bar? know, but there was like no, 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 no. There was like a like the city area around it has like a cool name, uh, and it had something. No, maybe it wasn't Fox. Something. It was really cool. It was a fun live show. We were on a cool little yeah. stage. It was fun. I enjoyed that show. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Grand Shoot. Okay. Oh, Fox River. That's what it was. It oh, was like the Fox River the tr- area. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, we well, we skipped a question. To go back oh to yeah, that. so I introduced my kids to the tri- the prequels. Why? It all sucks because it's all because my kids watched all of the MCU, <laughs> and my son Noah goes, "Can we please watch all the Star Wars movies next?" And I said to myself, "Self, fuck." <laughs> Is that what you said? That's what I would have said. Those movies are for kids, so we push play. Yeah, we watch the Phantom Menace, and I kept pausing, and I go, "Okay." This is what the Trade Federation is. There's a tax dispute. Let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is are. a movie for kids that starts off with a tax dispute. And so I explained it all to them. Push play. Then they see Darth Maul. They've seen a couple of the Star Wars Rebels episodes where Darth Maul makes an appearance. That's, I've watched a few of those uh, um, recently of the Clone Wars. Fantastic. Yeah, so I'm going to watch that. Hey, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Star Wars Rebels, every one of their season-ending shows is... Really well done. The season enders, really well done. Anywho, the um, so we watched the uh, we watched the um, the prequels and Attack of the Clones came on, and one of our patrons said the worst is Attack of the Clones, and holy crap, it's awful. The worst is Attack it's of a, the Clones. It's just it's terrible all around. It is garbage from beginning to end. And my the best part was the horrible scene on Naboo. Where the the queen is hiding out with Anna, with teenage stalker boy Anakin, and he just starts petting her skin. I hate sand; it's coarse and it gets everywhere. But I will say this: Hayden Christensen's acting skills sucked in Episode Two. Much better in Episode Three. Nah. I don't think he gets the credit. I, no, 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 need I watched him. him. Ah. I, I yeah yeah no. There's plenty to not like, but. It's more the dialogue than his delivery in episode three. It's both in episode two. So that's what I'm going to say. But what was the question? Would you rather with the prequels or what? Oh, if you, if you have to watch one, what do you choose, the prequel or the new one? I mean, I did the prequels. I do not want to watch any of the new ones. I would pick the new ones because the prequels are just genuinely terrible movies all the way. There is the only thing redeeming about the prequels is um, the music. That fight. And the canon in your head that you can kind of like fill in the gaps or make it good in your mind. There was a part of, there was a part of Obi-Wan and Anakin fighting each other where they were spinning their lightsabers and not hitting each other, even though they were two feet away. And they're like, boom. And I was like, oh, that was a lot of spinning for no reason. <laughs> and my kids were like, what? And then they did the force push at the same time. And then they blasted each other. But it just looked like two hands right next to each other. And then, ah. It was. And this is what I heard that he did. Um, one of the decisions was. Cocaine. Instead, cocaine. Second decision. No, he used. Uh, everything was filmed in 1080p on digital cameras. When you film with film, you can always. Uh, 
I mean, film quality being what it is, but you can extrapolate from uh, film a higher resolution because it's light on on the film paper, as opposed to filming with a digital camera. You can't. You can upscale to a point, but the the digital mean. That's why when you film Hollywood movies, they use like 8K or 10K cameras and then release a 1080p video, because five years from now they're going to release a 4K and then a 5K and then an 8K or whatever it is. But George Lucas made a decision to use the peak at that time and also made the decision to shoot almost every scene in green screen. And it is so, like, the 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 screen rant critique of it is it's going to look like a PlayStation 2 cutscene from a PlayStation 2 video game. Sure enough, that's what all the clone troopers look like. And you're like, oh, God, this is It's awful. awful. It's, it's just, it's truly shameful. I think it's shameful how bad it is. I'm being yeah, hyperbolic, really but shame on them. It's and disgusting. I mean Samuel L. Jackson. You don't even delight in his character. I know there's nothing. There's nothing. It sucks. It freaking sucks. And and then the, in the third movie where he kills, where Emperor Palpatine kills the the Jedi coming to arrest him, he kills him. He goes ah, and he makes this weird face, and then stabs one, and then turns and whacks the other, and it's like. Then they're not going to block it. The way that they de- like the way the characters it so de- like it just looks like a shitty community theater play. Theater. Like yeah. when the Jedi are no. killed, they're like, "Whoa!" and they fall over, and it's yeah. just like, "What?" Like, there's no. Yeah. It's just <sighs> like, honestly. And I, then yeah. Then there was another scene where um, oh, is that scene? He's shooting out force lightning against Samuel Jackson, and it's electrocuting back at him and deforming him. I guess. And he's going, hey, the kid, I can't hold it much longer. It's like, why are you doing it in the first place? He's not whacking you. Like, he's he just, he's holding his sword up. And he's yelling at you. He's not even, what are you doing? And then the second Samuel L. Jackson stops, he goes, no. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Do it. I, Do it. I just, like, I'm done. I'm done with Star Wars. I'm done yeah. with Game of Thrones. I'm done with what other stuff sucks now. Um, hey, Luke. I'm done. May the 4th yeah, be with you. I don't I had to care. Say we watched Rogue One today. Uh, so next week is A New Hope. Is or Rogue tomorrow's One a new good hope. in hindsight? Uh, I, I, every time I watch it, I like it more and more because I'm stop, I'm, I don't care about the Star Wars-ness of it. It's like, hey, here's an action-adventure flick. Okay. Here's yeah. some blowy uppy things. You I know me care. in sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. I don't care that Taikita Awatita is going to direct one. I don't care. Yeah, oh yeah. I just next question. Um, can you tell that I'm in a dirt mood? <laughs> yes. Uh, this is going to be the last question of the night. We've been going for an hour and a half strong. Uh, is that enough for a good show? One more, Luke. We're going to answer the f out of this question. Uh, how did you accumulate power tools without going broke? A thousand dollars and woodworking for mere mortals gives you a tool list for a thousand dollars. And there was a Sears outlet store that was going out of sale, and that's where I bought my Dewalt table saw for thirty-five percent off. Already assembled all that stuff, and then um, I stole my dad's power tools. Um, that's it. It's the woodworking tools that really get you. I need to get new a new drill. And a new um, impact driver. And let me tell you, I stare at those DeWalt uh, brushless drills, you know, the new ones that they got. I just stare at those for 250 bucks, and I'm like, I want it, I want it, I want it. 
but I'm a Ryobi quality man. Like, I should not spend that much money, but I really want to. Uh, do you have, but I don't. Do you have time for a deep um, question? Because I, I like this one. Okay. You know how if you watch too many um, Netflix shows about food, you start to believe you can't eat anything because, like, all the sugar is evil. No fat is evil. No, like, um, the meat is evil, et cetera. So I have I have that, but with prayer. All the uh, – you almost shouldn't have a blank mind. You, uh, you shouldn't bring stuff to God. You shouldn't bring things to God like, you know, like uh, – like vending machines, you know, like treating God like he, he's a vending machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes me feel like I can't pray correctly ever. A- advice. Yeah, no, that whoever gave you that advice is terrible and should be punched. Uh, okay, we don't treat God like a cosmic vending machine. Okay, that's real. We go to our Heavenly Father because we are desperately reliant on him. We bring our real needs. Read the book of Psalms. Like, that's one of the reasons why I love Luke's love of the Liturgy of the Hours that led to my love of Liturgy of the Hours. Because you're welcome. If you study the Psalms, you constantly find them screaming at God for things. Uh, Bishop Barron is fond of quoting Pope John Paul, who said, The older I get, the more I realize the prayer petition is the most important prayer. Because you realize your absolute dependency on God. Now, here's the deal. If you're treating God like a cosmic vending machine, that means the only reason why you're praying is not to get closer to God, but it's for God to do stuff for you. The danger is viewing God as your cosmic gopher. He is the all-supreme God of the universe. He's not your butler. Okay, so grounding our hearts, the reason why we say don't just ask for stuff is because we want you to understand that God is a father to be praised, a king who is sovereign over you, all of those things. And when you just ask for stuff, you can tend to get that that notion of God. So what is praise? Praise is praising God for who he is. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he's done. Do you do those things? Do you adore him for who he is in and of himself? And do you thank him for what he's done in your life? There are a lot of secular people. You know, when the Catholic Church puts something down, the secular society picks it up. Uh, what was the line Archbishop Fulton Sheen said? We put down the rosary, the hippies wear it around their necks, and then Madonna. Um, when we put down Thanksgiving, when we stop thanking God in our prayer systematically, repeatedly, over and over again, now there are gratitude journals or people that make productivity journals where the first thought of the day is three things I'm grateful for in my life. That should be a part of our Christian prayer. The rhythm of being like, okay, things are really terrible, but I have a job. Or maybe you don't have a job. Well, I was furloughed. Well, that means I have health insurance. Okay, well, at least that's not terrible, even though I don't have an income, and that's terrible. So what ends up happening is you look for the thankfulness in these things. Things to repent for. I would. Well, I want to add something before we get like a little bit yeah. off track. I, I think the importance here is like why the, why people start to give that advice a lot, I think, is because it's, it is really trying to speak more to um, like, like a like lack of committed prayer. Yeah. You know, so it's don't go to God if it's just always about things that you want. Don't like like your prayer needs to be but I think where we tend to miss it where we tend to like miss the mark and I think you are like right about this is um like we then like dismiss that as a whole. The like yeah, the, don't do that. like the most important yeah. thing in here, the thing that you like the like we should do is be committed to 
I think it is way more better to screw up your committed prayer than to have no prayer life at all. I will take that 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, prayer is one of those things where showing up is nine tenths of the battle. Right. I can remember. And and also to the person who wrote this, I, I didn't see the question. I don't know who you are. I would encourage you to make a serious silent retreat with a religious order that you trust. Because one of the things, like if you're if you're just going to mass and the homilies aren't hitting it and you're you're feeling really worn worn down or lukewarm, you need like there's nothing like solitude and surrounded by people who can guide you that can take you deeper. If you don't have a confessor or a spiritual director, seek those things out. Also, here's the deal: your own laziness. And again, I don't know you. I don't know if you're lazy at all. But like laziness, forgetfulness neglecting things like Luke was talking about consistency in prayer. Um, are, are you struggling with habitual mortal sin? All of those things will creep into your life and they will pull you up. They will destroy. This is acedia, right? You don't even want to try anymore. It's just ash. It's dryness. It's sand. It's not life giving. And so if you have all these things in your life and you're not, you never touch that the green pastures or the running waters, you're always going to, you're going to look around and be like, really, this is prayer. That's not a vital re- – you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe upon him. Like, you haven't placed your whole life into him, right? And that's the point that's – the, that's the movement that prayer is supposed to lead us to. So I would also say you need a guide. Start off with a book, A Beginner's Guide to Prayer. You are, I don't care who you are. Like, you might be a priest, and I know so many priests that don't pray. Get A Beginner's Guide to Prayer. Thomas Dubay's um, A Prayer Primer, um, Dr. Peter Crave's uh, Prayer for Beginners, and just start there. Right, me and Luke love Soul of the Apostolate, but we've had kind of like a decade of formation and prayer and other shame stuff from our household yeah. brothers, um, and we have a religious order that has journeyed with our household that is made up of yeah. mostly our household members, right? The servants of Christ Jesus, and they do amazing Ignatian spirituality, and so that that, that those have been bedrocks Luke, in our lives. You so. idiot! Yeah, no, um, and I would like I would also add. Um, one thing I've really loved, like, uh, like I don't know if Father Mike Schmitz doesn't like um know this, but he's he's like my he's like my uh, hidden spiritual director, and I feel like a lot of people um, they like have that feeling towards him. But here's why here's why mine is real, is that like <laughs> I actually take what he talks about, and when it hits me, I take it to prayer and I really pray with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm this, this like I, I'm like so it's it's not just this like eureka moment that I have when he's talking. I go, oh, and, and I do have that. I have that, but like I take, and it's really, and like I'm just kind of kidding when I say he's my he's my hidden spiritual director. It's like everyone I hear that is that's like that like when I hear really good stuff, I don't try to leave it just to just to that moment. I bring it to prayer because hopefully this isn't the case right now because I'm a shitty human being, uh, but I have a committed and a consistent prayer life. And I'm all and like anything that hits me, I bring that to prayer. And like that's the most I, like so I, I think like so often people want a spiritual director and like half the time i go no you just need to like pray more often and bring the stuff that you hear that like hits you to prayer and you'll be surprised how much god will work because i mean let's let's just be like blunt we have a lack of good spiritual like good spiritual directors so like you're not gonna get one the majority of us aren't gonna get a good spiritual 
director all the time because we just don't have the numbers. It's a problem. But we also, yeah. I don't think, like, we need, you can do a lot with just, like, things you find online, praying with that and talking to other people in your life about it. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you a thing that I love about spiritual direction at my church is they're all certified through a four-year, I think it's a four-year program. And then afterwards, when they start doing direction, they have to do this thing called supervision, where they share their cases, anonymized and randomized, but they share it with other people, people not associated with the spiritual directors. And they share it, and they tell them the advice and the guidance that they're giving so that other people can critique them as peers. So that you you have this layers upon layers of accountability. Like uh, this one woman said, you know, one time I had someone say, I think the guidance you're giving this woman is is good, but it's not the right thing for them. And because you're trying to mother them instead of being their spiritual director, you're being too much of a mom. And she was like, holy crap, I am. God bless you. God bless you. And it's a serious thing. Uh, 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 uh. God bless you. He has with a friend like you. Ah, my nipple. Um, <laughs> and like being a spiritual director is a heavy responsibility that I don't like take lightly. And so, like, I don't want you guys to think. I like. I, I, so I was just I, now. This is when I get a little bit, little bit scrupulous. I don't treat Father Mike or other people like they're my fake spiritual. Director, yeah, I, I just I'm gonna take it to heart, and I, I'm taking yeah. it to prayer. I think, that's and it's important. good what you said. You want to extend that that word of wisdom, not to like I had a religious experience, but you actually want to extend that moment into your life in a real way. Because yeah, it could be God trying to talk to me, or it could just be a cool thing, and it helps me uh, discern what's actually going on there. Yeah, and so my wife does this thing. It, I don't, was the questioner a woman? Yeah. So my wife has – oh, actually, you know, they, they, it's not male or female. I don't know why I said that. Every Sacred Sunday – the books are a little feminine. But um, my wife gets it. I used to get it. I just don't – I'm not consistent with this stuff. But my wife gets it. She brings it to Mass all the time, has all the Sunday readings and Holy Days of Obligation, and it has space for you to write down, like, notes. But it's not, like, academic notes. It's, like, things to take to prayer you know, before you go to Mass. But also, like, write down that one sentence – that stood out to you. And then it gives you space to write whatever you want. And my wife, when we do liturgy at home with the online stuff, and my wife now, she, my wife has never listened to Bishop Aaron anything. And we do Bishop Aaron's mass more often than not, just because it's a really small, small, closely cropped altar. Um, she just pulls out the book and she writes, she goes, uh, so I was at mass at my church Um helping run it and organize it. We had registrations and my wife was like, I filled two pages after mass with my prayerful reflections on what Bishop Barron said. And I was like, that's awesome. See, that's how you take a, a nugget of inspiration and carry it forward into your, into your prayer life. I have another friend who I just found out she works for the church, but she takes a uh, 1 a.m. Holy hour. And she says, that's not for my ministry. That's, I'd have no prayer intentions. It's just me and my Lord, and I just have all this time alone with him. And I was like, that's awesome. I love it. Nice. Be zealot. Mm-hmm. Luke, you are eating that phone. That <laughs> Shout out to Jason. I'm going to yeah, call you Jason. Can you, I Jason. call you our producer? Can we call you our producer? Thanks to producer Jason. Yay. Yay. Producer Jason. Producer Jason. 
All right. Thanks to all of the sponsors of the show and everyone who listened to any portion of the show. I'm sure there was three people that watched the whole time. Thank you, Mom, Dad, and Auntie, Luke's mom, Emily. Daddy. Yeah. Daddy. 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 Uh, thanks to Joel and Nick and Alex for being part of the background. And me, thanks to thanks uh, to Shannon's thighs and oh, my nipples. Thighs. I like how you turned the microphone away when you said Shannon's thighs and then went nipples. <laughs> and it was so loud. It was so loud. All right. Thank you all for listening all right. to Catching Foxes. Thanks, guys. Adios.